SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yaman, welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Monday, the 2nd of October, we look at uh, the first, uh, first Nations community where voting for voice to parliament has started. Also in the sidelines of the Korean Knockout 2023, the biggest First Nations Rugby League and Community Festival in the country, we have a yarn with Rugby League star Alex Johnston, whose debut children's book is about to be released. In the program today, we also look, talk to two recipients of prestigious accolades this year, celebrating in one case leadership in mental health and in the second case a recognition in good design as well as initiatives to protect indigenous intellectual property. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news and today we are broadcasting from now on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandame Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Early voting starts today for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Turkish warplanes carry out airstrikes on suspected Kurdish militant targets. And in sport, Brisbane coach Kevin Walters says he's in shock after his team's loss in the NRL Grand Final. Labour Senator Malandiri McCarthy says she remains confident Australians will vote yes in the upcoming Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. It comes as early voting opens today with the referendum about two weeks away. Early voting centres are opening in Victoria, Western Australia, Tasmania and the Northern Territory. For the remaining states which have a public holiday today, early voting opens tomorrow, Tuesday, October the 3rd. That means people in New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia and the ACT will be able to cast an early vote from tomorrow. Ms McCarthy says she's seeing substantial support for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. I still remain quietly confident, Sarah. We've been travelling across the Northern Territory. Uh, Voting began for us last week and across uh, remote and regional Australia last week. And everywhere I went in northeast Arnhem Land, uh, we saw on the Tiwi Islands there is incredible support for the voice. In the meantime, National Senator Bridget McKenzie says it will be unprecedented if the Indigenous Voice referendum was successful with a lack of bipartisanship on the issue. Opinion polls show voters are set to reject the Indigenous Voice to Parliament on October 14. 
Senator McKenzie says the opposition is not responsible for the lack of bipartisanship despite the Liberal and National parties supporting the no campaign. She told Sky News despite the division, there is widespread support for constitutional recognition. If this was a referendum about recognising first Australians in the constitution, A, it would have bipartisan support and B, I think in excess of 95% of Australians would be voting yes. Australian home prices have continued to increase for the eighth consecutive month and are set to reach a new record high. The latest CoreLogic property data records a 0.08% rise in value in September, adding about $38,000 to the average dwelling since January. Last month's increase followed a 0.7% increase in August, a revised down from 0.8%, taking the pace of quarterly growth to 2.2%. This was down from the June quarter's 3.0% growth as a rise in housing advertisements amid high interest rates and cost of living pressures helped take some heat out of the market. Melbourne Lord Mayor Sally Cup says it's important to recognise that rising values are fuelled by a shortage in housing and the focus should be on increasing supply. We're really seeing so much of focus on the uh, rising value of property and yet we know what's really fuelling that is a shortage of housing. And so maintaining a focus on housing supply uh, has to be really three levels of government involved there. We know from talking to our small business owners, many are still struggling. uh, And so the the uncertainty that comes from increasing rate rises, even the threat of increasing rate rises, is really felt on the streets here in Melbourne. Tasmanian Premier Jeremy Rockliffe has ruled out an early election following the departure of Attorney General Elise Archer. Ms Archer resigned from the Liberal Party last week over allegations she bullied a former staff member and and damaging leaked private messages. Ms Archer is yet to resign from Parliament, but if she stays as she has suggested, she might She'll sit as an independent, which may force the Premier to call an early election. Mr. Rockcliffe says his priority is not on an early election, but on implementing the recommendation, recommendations of Tasmania's major inquiry into child sexual abuse handed down last week. The Labour government supports the ACCC's recommendation that childcare providers should be named and shamed for charging exorbitant fees. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission released its latest childcare report on Sunday, finding fees in Australia are some of the highest in the world. The report calls for more information to be shared publicly with parents, focusing on which childcare providers were posting larger profit margins at the expense of parents and childcare staff. Minister for the Environment Tanya Plibersek says increasing transparency around which centres are charging over-the-top fees is a good idea. One of the suggestions in this report, as you say, is naming and shaming. If childcare operators are, um, you know, ripping parents off, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, fair um, to make that clear. There are obviously lots of centres doing the right thing, uh, and parents, you know, for the most part, really love their childcare centres, particularly the people who are working in those centres. They love those people who look after their kids. But if there are some people doing the wrong thing and ripping off parents, then we've got to get to the bottom of that. 
Victoria's new cabinet has been named with changes to the transport, education, housing, children and jobs portfolios. Premier Jacinta Allen announced the new ministry ahead of Parliament returning tomorrow, Tuesday, October the 3rd. Ms. Allen's deputy, Ben Carroll, will become Minister for Education and Medical Research. Tim Pallas, who vied for the deputy premier role, will stay on as treasurer. His assistant treasurer, Danny Pearson, will now also take on Ms. Allen's old portfolios of transport infrastructure and suburban rail loop. Mr. Carroll's replacement as public transport minister will be Gabrielle Williams, while Natalie Hutchins is swapping education for jobs and industry, women and returns to the treaty and fast people's portfolio. Housing Minister Colin Brooks has been appointed Minister for Development Victoria, Precincts and Creative Industries. Overseas Turkish warplanes have carried out airstrikes on suspected Kurdish militant targets in northern Iraq. The strikes took place hours after a suicide attack on a government building in the Turkish capital. The Turkish Interior Ministry says 20 targets of the Kurdistan Workers' Party were destroyed in the aerial operation and a large number of PKK operatives were killed. Earlier on Sunday, a suicide bomber detonated an explosive device near the Ministry of Interior Affairs and a second assailant was killed in a shootout with police. The Kurdistan Workers' Party have claimed responsibility for the suicide bombing according to local media. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan says the attack threatened peace and security in Turkey. As a result of the timely intervention of our security forces this morning, the action in which two murderers were neutralized is the last stand of terrorism. The scoundrels who targeted the peace and security of the citizens could not achieve their goals. They will never reach it. The Victorian Country Fire Authority says dangerous fire conditions will ease today after a challenging weekend for Victorian firefighters. It comes as firefighters continue firefighters continue to battle three major blazes in the Gippsland region of Victoria region in Victoria's east. The CFA has declared a fire ban for the Mali area in the state's northwest. An out-of-control fire was burning north of Mafra on Sunday with people in Briagolong, Kuladen, Munarpa, Stockdale and Sarans told to evacuate. A fire at Logsport was also under a watch and act alert as it burnt out of control. Chief Officer of the CFA, Jason Heffernan, told the ABC conditions are expected to worsen again tomorrow. Today, however, we will see milder conditions. Whilst there will be uh, some breezes and in some instances some sea breezes, the temperatures are by and far a lot more reduced, which will allow firefighters uh, to get the upper hand in containing some of these fires. Uh, but it will be a very short-lived reprieve. Tomorrow, uh, we are expecting a return to hot uh, fire conditions in East Gippsland ahead of what we expect to be a very significant rainfall event on Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And in sport, Brisbane Broncos coach Kevin Walters says he's in shock after his team's loss to the Penrith Panthers in the NRL Grand Final. The Panthers beat the Broncos 26-24 with the Panthers number 7 Nathan Cleary delivering a dazzling solo display to wrap up the game. Mr Walters says it's a huge disappointment for his team and he's still processing where they went wrong. It's just hard to get 
your head around what actually happened. So, anyway, yeah, it's very disappointing. I feel for all the all the players in there that, that gave so much, but just uh, wasn't enough in the end. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, partly cloudy, 31, Perth, showers and windy, 18 degrees, Adelaide, mostly sunny, 31, Melbourne, sunny, 28, Hobart, also sunny, 22, Albury-Wodonga, partly cloudy, 27, Canberra, similar conditions, 28, Wollongong, partly cloudy, 22, Sydney, sunny, 24, Newcastle, much the same, 27, Brisbane, mostly sunny, 28, Townsville, mostly cloudy, 27, Keynes, partly Cloudy 29, Alice Springs, sunny 37, Darwin, sunny 34, and the Torres Strait Islands, sunny day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungendame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Coming up next, the sidelines of the Kulinoka 2023, the biggest First Nations Rugby League and Community Festival. NITV Radio's Luana Grant caught up with the Rugby League star Alex Johnston, whose debut children's book is about to be released. The program will also have conversations with two recipients of prestigious accolades this year, celebrating in one case leadership in mental health and in the second case a recognition in good design as well as initiatives to protect indigenous intellectual property. But first, we go to one of the First Nations communities across Australia where voting for Verse 2 Parliament has started and learn about the significance of the vote for this community. With less than two weeks to go, the voice referendum. Some of the country's most remote residents have already begun casting their votes in the referendum. NITV's Northern Territory correspondent Guy McLean travelled to the Tiwi Islands north of Darwin last week where locals were keen to have their say. Warramiyanga on Bathurst Island is about a half hour's flight from Darwin. And today people here were among the first in the nation to vote yes or no for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. It gives the opportunity and the people of this community are very supportive. But, you know, it's people's choice. Yes volunteers were on hand with How to Vote material. A prominent Tiwi Yes campaigner also there to spread the word. It's about our democracy and how we should be able to have a conversation about Aboriginal people having a rightful place in this country to be able to change uh, their destiny and their policies going forward. A message which seemed to resonate with Tiwi voters. I came this morning just about, like, uh, I need a strong voice to, to speak on behalf of the Aboriginal people. It might have something, you know... Different changes, especially for uh, young people. And Warramianga is one of just 193 locations where remote Territorians can cast their vote in this referendum. 19 bush polling teams stopping off at communities, outstations and homelands 
over a frantic three-week period. We go to communities where there are as few as 10 enrolled voters. It's an amazing reach by the AEC. Globally, we're one of the few commissions that does that. And with the Territory boasting record Aboriginal voter enrolment, it's a massive undertaking just getting underway. Guy McLean, NITV News. Now, in the sidelines of the Kurino Cup 2023, the biggest First Nations Rugby League and Community Festival that will be wrapping up uh, today, well, Loana Grant explores Footy Tale, a new book inspired by the South Sydney Rabbitohs, written by NRL star Alex Johnston and illustrated by celebrated First Nations artist Greg Drees. Alex Johnston is an NRL superstar playing for the South Sydney Rabbitohs, and he can now add author to his list of achievements. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Alex to chat more about his first ever children's picture book. Alex, thanks so much for joining me today on NITV Radio. Hey, uh, pleasure to be on. Firstly, can you tell us uh, about your first children's book, A Footy Tale, and what's the story about? Uh, Yeah, I'd love to tell you about A Footy Tale. It's... uh just a story I wrote uh, during COVID, um, the first book I've ever written. Um, it's about a group of bunnies that are uh, they're having a tough time uh, playing a game of footy and they, uh, they're up against better teams like tigers, the sharks, all these fierce animals. So uh, a friend of theirs, the crow, decides to uh, recruit some animals. There's Alex the croc, which is uh, based on yours truly. Uh, there's <laughs> Cody the Goanna, which is uh, Cody Walker and uh, his totem, the Goanna, and uh, Trell the Big Roo, uh, and he does his kangaroo celebration there. So, uh, yeah, the Crow uh, gets us three, um, you know, fellas, and we uh, join the team, and, uh, yeah, the the Bunnies ended up winning some games, and it's thanks to, you know, all different animals and working together uh, with unity, and uh, they can achieve great things. So that's the basis of the story. Awesome. And how did the idea come about? I know you said during COVID, but how did you first come up with this idea to write a children's book? Uh, I initially uh, came up uh, with the idea because uh, I was reading books to my uh, my boy, Sonny, uh, and I just thought, wouldn't it be nice one day if I could you know, read him a book that's actually from me? And that's that's what got me thinking. That was the genesis of it. I really wanted to, to write something for him and uh, yeah, luckily, uh, Alan and Unwin decided that they loved it and would love to publish it, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. And what about the story? Did it take you long to write the book? Um, well, once I, once I sort of thought of the idea, you know, being a footy player, I just thought I'll make it easy on myself. I'll make it about footy. Yeah, I'll something make... you know all about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I thought uh, I'll make it, you know, basis around the bunnies, my team I play for, and um something else I'm passionate about, my culture. So that got chucked in there as well. And, uh, yeah, once I started writing, I pretty much got the first um, draft out in a day and then, you know, some fine-tuning for a while and then um, didn't really take too long. I think I was just inspired at the moment. And, uh, yeah, I was just super stoked that it's finally come to fruition. How did you find the experience, um, you know, writing and, you know, for your first book? How did you find that? Yeah, it was um, it was different. Obviously, uh, actually writing it that was you know pretty fun and just trying to get something down, pen to paper, and things are coming to your brain. And but the uh, the whole idea of uh, you know going through a publisher and finding an artist and all that uh, obviously took I reckon just over a year or so. So it was a pretty cool process to to be involved with and uh, talking back and forth with the editor. It's something I 
I think I fell in love with and I'd love to write a lot more books. So, yeah, I think the process of writing a book is uh, something I'm very keen on. And can you tell us a little bit more about the illustrations and the artwork in the book? Yeah, so um, as I said earlier, um, being an Indigenous man myself, I wanted uh, some First Nations um, an artist, obviously, to do it. So um, Alan and Unwin had a list of uh, artists for me and uh, I went and researched and uh, ended up picking Greg Dryas, who uh, his uh, artwork he does, his landscapes and the artwork he does in his animals, uh, Aboriginal art, it's um, absolutely beautiful. So um, when you have a look at the book, it's all got uh, Aboriginal artwork all throughout um, in the landscapes, inside the animals, and it's something I really uh, fell in love with, the art, um, and I'm super stoked that I got Greg to, uh, to jump on board. And I know you mentioned that you are keen to write more books in the future. Are there any plans to write more um, you know, in the near future, or do you have any more stories that you're already thinking of that you want to write, and is it mainly just children's books that you're interested in? Um, yeah, uh, well, I don't want to reveal too much, but I've written a couple. <laughs> I've written a couple that I have... Um, Obviously, I'm waiting to see how Footy Tail goes, and um, obviously, then once it's all released and hopefully goes well, then I'll knock on the publisher's doors. Hey, I've got a couple more, um, and we'll see how we go from there. But um, yeah, so there are a few ideas that are coming around, and um, yeah, I think uh, there might be some more footy-related ones and um, some others that aren't footy-related as well. Yeah, awesome. And what does your son think of the book when you read it to him for the first time? Uh, yeah, he um, it wasn't by his choice the first time. I was like, hey, look at this new book. Um, and then I pretty much forced him to sit down and listen. But no, he absolutely loves it. It's um, He loves footy in itself. So um, once I started reading, it was about footy. He just sat down. It's his favourite book now. We read it every night. And uh, Alex the Croc, I wish I could say is his favourite character, but he, he loves Cody the Goanna <laughs> a bit more, unfortunately. Damn it. Um, and the book is being published uh, next week and ready for purchase. Like, that's so exciting. How are you feeling about, you know, the release of the book? Oh, I'm very excited. I mean, I can't wait just to walk through a Big W store and just walk past my own book. And, you know, it'll be pretty uh, pretty surreal, pretty overwhelming just to see something like that happen. And, um, you know, October 3rd it's released and um, I'll be out, I think it's October 7th, doing a book signing at uh, – Pagewood, uh, the big W at East Gardens there. So I'm looking forward to seeing it in stores and uh, seeing how the people hopefully buy it. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, congratulations on your first children's book. Such an awesome achievement. And I'm sure your family is really, really proud of you. So thanks so much for joining me today on NITV Radio and all the best with all of your other books in the future as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. Cheers, Luana. And this story is already published on our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. We must now go to a break. When we come back, we have a conversation with Megan Krakwa, a Noongar woman who is making a difference in mental health, suicide prevention, and striving to address black deaths in custody. Stay with us. Hey you, fancy yourself a journal? Here at SBS and NITV, we're looking for mob to apply for the Indigenous Journalism Cadetship Programme. What's a cadetship? The cadetship is a 12-month paid position including training and practical reporting to help kickstart your career in journalism. You'll be paired with a mentor and work across NITV, SBS News, Dateline and Insight on TV, 
radio and online platforms. Once here, you can pitch, produce and tell stories that affect and matter to our communities. We want applicants from all across Australia to apply for the job which is based in Sydney on Camaragal Country. Plus you'll have placements in Melbourne and Canberra. How deadly. This position is for people who identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and applications are closing soon. So don't delay and apply now. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Now, Megan Krakwa is the winner of a 2023 Australian Mental Health Prize, recognising and celebrating a bridge north to Strait Islander leadership in mental health. A proud man and woman of the Noonga Nation, Megan Krakwa is, a wide, is widely considered First Nations right, a First Nations rights beacon who has been reshaping laws and advocating for the marginalised. Amidst the disheartening rates of suicide within First Nations communities and the grim conditions at the Banksia Hill Detention Centre, Megan, alongside Gary Churgatos, established the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project, which has served as a lifeline to more than 25,000 people, offering direct and comprehensive support ranging from financial assistance to psychosocial counselling. Well, I caught up with Megan Krakwa to learn more about her work, we begin this part of our conversation exploring how she's made an impact reducing recidivism in one of WA's prisons. We worked up at Acacia Prison alongside of Jerry and there were three Aboriginal people in the um, in a one-year period. We started working there and we'd taken self-harms down from 33 to 3 within one quarter. It's about spreading the love, showing people that you care. Uh, Banksy Hill Detention Centre. That's the only youth detention centre in Western Australia, right across the country. There's 132 carceral estates of that. There's 17 youth detention centres. Banksy is one over in Western Australia. We were asked to go and work at Banksy Hill at the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, all the service pulled out except for one. There was a new program that went in. And then there was us who worked primarily with the young girls. At the time we walked into Yeda, that's the compound for the young girls, there was 18 young girls. By the time we left, eight weeks later, there was only seven. No one came back. Wow. So it's about working with the young ones. And we chose to work in the compounds. We didn't want an office away from the girls. We wanted to work and be there and support them and work out exactly what was going on. But then we'd also provide a support to the families on the outside. So, of course, when the young girls come out, um, we um, strengthened their supports so they had less chance of returning back into um, Banksy Hill Detention Centre. So you've uh, reduced the recidivism and uh, reduced yeah. the numbers, which is uh, pretty good. Would I would one call the kind of intervention some kind of uh, therapeutic justice or how would one qualify it? Um, therapeutic, restorative justice, restorative works. Yeah. It's, about, it's a very simple approach. Yeah, And the simple approach is this. If you have a child, if you have a niece, you have a granddaughter, if they were going through some problems, you would try your best as much as humanly possible is to work out what the issue is to help them and support them yeah. and to take those issues away. You know, a lot of those kids um, that was at Banksy Hill, I treated them no different from how I treat my own child. I'd sit there, I'd yarn, I'd talk to them, I'd work out what the issues were and then we'd work out a plan on how we could sort it out. 
the thing is, it wasn't just about talking. It was about listening. It was about hearing. It was about practical solutions, ways forward, employment, training. The thing is, once you start believing in a person, it gets to a point where they start to believe in themselves and you give that real beautiful hope. And that way they become an inspiring story. And with Aboriginal people, we do have big families. So a lot of said with some of the families that individuals that we've worked with, well, if they can do it, we can do it. So you can inspire hope. You can make change. It's all about being kind and being loving and navigating a person who is in a real dire circumstance to help them realise their beautiful possibility and their potential so they can live their best possible lives. That's what life should be about. Too often we see mothers and fathers that are burying their children to suicide. We aren't put on our put on this earth to bury our children, but too often that we do. And it's heartbreaking. So these are the issues that we deal with. And these are a lot of the families that we support, our brothers and sisters, and we highlight the deficit truth. So that's why I do a lot of media with the families. So, for example, with Banksia Hill, we know that there's been 10,000 children that have been in there since 1997. And there's been 100 dear little ones that have passed away since leaving Banksia Hill. And that is absolutely alarming. It's catastrophic. It's hurtful. And it leaves the families with so much hurt and pain in their lives forever. And we know that in terms of Banksia Hill Detention Centre, again, 40% of the children that are in that prison are in the care of the Department of Child Protection. So there's all these issues that's impacting on us mob there and we must always recognise that it is a poverty, poverty narrative. The government, if they want to fix, if they want to help, if they want to support in ways that should, they need to ensure that there's poverty alleviation. If you fix the poverty, 80% of the issues will go too. I would like to conclude on that, but uh, I think it's better I give you an opportunity to uh, say something we may have missed that you would like to bring to the attention of our listeners. For sure. We're all brothers and sisters in the human family, and we must do what we can, particularly those who are in positions of power and positions of influence. Never forget about the grim reality. Right now I'm in a remote community, and I've been in remote communities all this week. And it's different circumstances. There's about 1,200 remote communities across the country. Of the 1,200 remote communities, about um, 120,000 people. So we must recognise that in terms of Aboriginal people, we are not homogenous. There are very different circumstances depending on whether it's regional, remote, urban. But we must always be kind. Someone like a Pat Dudgeon who's the first Aboriginal psychologist across the country. I'm very humbled and thankful that she nominated me for this award because with this award basically comes the opportunity to bring to the attention of the Australian people, the Australian audience, some of the real issues that's hurting our people, that's killing our people, that leaves our people suffering. We must always remember that it's, it comes back to intergenerational trauma. Trauma, if it's not unaddressed, can kill the voice to Parliament, I was, the, I was a person that said no at the beginning and I had all my reasons for saying no. I basically said it couldn't compel change, it couldn't, it was already racist in so many respects. It wasn't going to make too much of a difference. I said that there wasn't a lot of our families that were involved in it. But after I'd been at a funeral, one little person and another one who'd passed away who I'd been with a family, both lost a suicide at very tender young ages, 
I changed my mind in relation to the voice of Parliament and now I'm voting yes. I see that there is no central body across the country to deal with all of our issues in terms of child removals, incarceration, environment and so forth. At least if we have a central body, we can start tackling the issues in a coordinated and responsive approach. And that I see as a good thing. Megan Krakow, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio and congratulations again on uh, winning uh, this uh, accolade. Amazing, and thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And to your listeners, God bless. Thank you. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. We must now go to a break, but when we come back, conversation with Emran Chapananka Sultan of Solid Lines, who have just won the Indigenous Design Award at this year's Good Design Awards. Stay tuned. SBS is updating its radio schedule. From October 5, there will be more times to listen. With repeated programming on Wednesday, Friday and Saturday at 6pm on SBS 1. To find out more, visit sbs.com.au slash audio. Solid Lines, Australia's first illustration agency dedicated to representing First Nations creatives, has won the Good Design Awards at the highest honour for design and innovation in the country and reward diverse projects across 11 design disciplines covering more than 35 categories and subcategories. And I'm happy to say I'm joined by Emran Chapananka Sultan, co-founder of uh, Solid Lines together with Dr. Nicola St. John and uh, Jackie Winter Group. Emran, welcome to NITV Radio. Thanks for having me. This is a prestigious uh, award. It's the highest honor for design and innovation. How does it feel being acknowledged as an indigenous uh, creator? Bertrand, it's an absolute wonderful thing to be acknowledged, particularly the work that Solid Lines is doing for the artists that we represent, especially around the indigenous cultural and intellectual property, which has really been a benchmark for Solid Lines because there are not a lot of First Nations-led or First Nations-owned agencies in the space that actually deal with the Indigenous cultural and intellectual property when it comes to, you know, the, the art that our artists create. We wanted them to be able to be culturally safe in, in terms of representation and the opportunities that they're, they're being given within the industries. And Solid Lines are co- is a collective, actually, bringing together a diverse range of creators in the design space. That's right. So far, we have about 11 different artists that we currently represent. A lot of them are based around the country, so it was really important for us to be able to reach out to many different artists in the initial stages of of setting up Solid Line. So at the very beginning, we met with a lot of artists around the country where we held workshops online. It was actually throughout the pandemic, so... It was, a, it was a pretty good opportunity for us to be able to do a lot of this work, which gave us a lot of time to do a lot of research as well. So listening to the artists speak about the way that they wanted to be represented was really important to us. 
Yeah, and uh, it said, uh, I'm just uh, quoting from uh, the jury, they say uh, Solid Lines is addressing a really important issue and has incredible potential for industry-wide and cultural impact. This is quite a big statement. Absolutely, and through supportive representation, acknowledgement and protection of Indigenous cultural and intellectual property, which is the ICIP, it was a real benchmark for Solid Lines that we actually included the ICIP and we worked with lawyers to draft up our, our statement around ICIP, what it actually means for our artists, because we see a lot of the fake art coming in from overseas. And that's been a really big problem for us, you know, because when it comes to Aboriginal art, it's our culture, it's who we are, it's our identity. So we wanted to be able to set up this agency where our artists were were um, uh, treated fairly, but also a space for them to be culturally safe when it comes to creative opportunities. Uh, intellectual property is, as you mentioned, a very, very... Uh, it's something that's uh, of a great concern for artists and creatives because uh, we have different... Uh, ways of appreciating uh, intellectual property, translating traditional ways of uh, considering uh, intellectual property, translating it into the Western uh, uh, codified uh, kind of uh, system, that can be a bit of a challenge. Absolutely. I guess it's a good challenge for us. It's something that, you know, we, we needed to concentrate on this going back decades and decades ago to try and put a stop to the fake art coming from overseas because it's all just recent as well that we see a lot of art coming in that's being uh, labelled as Aboriginal artwork. We have many beautiful, fine artists out on remote communities and it's just really sad when we see the fake art coming in from overseas that it's a replic re it's replicated stories from these artists that have no idea this sort of stuff is happening. So the work that Solar Lines is trying to achieve is really important, not only for our artists, but for the whole Aboriginal community throughout Australia when it comes to traditional Aboriginal art. It's uh, different voices from right across Australia or mainly on the eastern seaboard? All across Australia. So we have about 11 different artists that we currently represent. And we have artists from Queensland, the Northern Territory. We have artists in WA, here in Victoria, also New South Wales. So it, it covers, you know, a big footprint of, of the country. Yeah, bringing together many voices and uh, creatives. Uh, what, where to from now after this accolade? Yeah, so there's lots of really good opportunities for Solid Lines, as you mentioned one of the co-founders is the Jackie Winter Group. So the Jackie Winter Group has been really wonderful in supporting this project of Solid Lines. They're currently seeding the project as well. So we're currently in phase one of the partnership between Solid Lines and the Jackie Winter Group. So we celebrated our first anniversary in June, which has gone really fast. So it's a great achievement to be able to be recognised for an award when we're less than a year and a half old. So the next step would be looking at the next phases of Solid Lines as a business. 
And then uh, where to from here? Well, I think the the world's our oyster. One of the recommendations about uh, Solid Lines is that you give back to community projects. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's right. The work that we're doing with our artists, uh, we also look at ways on how we're able to give back to community in terms of uh, what type of workshops we can deliver with uh, First Nations young people, which is how the idea of Solid Lines really came about, going back probably about seven, eight years ago with my colleague Nicholas St. John, who facilitated workshops out in, in Dari, uh just west of Alice Springs, uh, with school students out there and got them to create their traditional designs and showed them how to put those designs into uh, a more digital type of format and showed them ways on how they can create products like T-shirts and coffee mugs. And they were able to create those items and then sell it at the local shop the profit that they made from that was able to go back to to those young artists. So we want to be able to show that, you know, that there's lots that can be done when it comes to Aboriginal art. It doesn't have to be the fine art, you know, in terms of the traditional uh, story element. We have a lot of artists who are absolutely wonderful illustrators. Um, the work that they're doing in this space is just absolutely phenomenal. Now, before I let you go, anything we haven't covered that you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? I just wanted to thank everyone for the opportunity as well. It's It's been a pretty hard slog setting up an agency like Solid Lines throughout the pandemic, not being able to meet face-to-face. Everything was done online. So I'd like to thank my family as well out in Central Australia for their support and encouragement and also for their advice and also all Aboriginal people that we had engaged with throughout this process. It's been an absolutely phenomenal process and, you know, I think this is actually a blueprint that can be used for other First Nations around around the world as well. Amran, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today and congratulations again on winning such a great accolade. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. This brings us to the end of uh, today's program. NITV Radio will be back on uh, Wednesday and uh, Friday later this week at uh, 1pm. I'm Bertrand Tungandame. Thanking you for being with me this uh, Monday afternoon. Till next time. Bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,